Good afternoon. I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. Deepama says, if you bless those around you, if you bless those around you, it will remind you to be attentive in each moment. I'd like to again start this talk by sending prayers to all those who are displaced by the fires in Oregon and California and in Washington, but also not just these physical fires. There's so much on fire that we are aware of. Fires of oppression, systemic racism, injustice, burning in this country and across the world. Fires of climate change. The fires in the Amazon last year and this year. To COVID-19 affecting the lungs and respiratory system. To George Floyd's death, where he so clearly stated, I can't breathe. And now these fires where it's unsafe to breathe. For those of you who are located in the Portland area, such a vital teaching about the preciousness of life and this vital life force, breath. Breath keeps us all alive. It connects us as living beings to this earth and to each other. Not just human beings, but all the beings that breathe. So clearly shows that greed, hatred, and delusion are not going to sustain life on this planet that we must reclaim wisdom and compassion in order to breathe. We must reclaim our breath, our collective breath. Jogan Sensei has been emphasizing that the power of taking the meditation posture just sitting upright. This mudra of meditation, this form of meditation, where we you know, spend some time setting up the posture so it has intentionality. making sure the hips are above the knees in whatever upright posture we're sitting in allows the spine to be in alignment or to be moving towards alignment, allows us to rest 
into the body and to rely on the structure of the body, the skeleton, to support us. Where most of the muscles can actually relax quite deeply. And when the spine is in its natural alignment, the breath can move more fully, more easily through the whole entire abdomen, chest, trunk of the body. And we can breathe or begin to breathe more fully more embodied. Our teacher Hogan Roshi says the whole body breathing. And Chosen Roshi often asks, is there any part of the body that does not move with the breath? Which invites a deep embodied investigation of this ongoing exchange This continuous movement as life force come, enters the body and exhales. A process that's been happening since the time of our birth. And when someone dies, we say they have taken their last breath. So we are breathing together. That's part of session practice. And I invite us to breathe together intentionally. So I invite you to explore, feel the fullness of an inhalation. And then the fullness of an exhalation and let your exhalation be complete. What does that mean? To exhale fully all the way to the bottom, expelling all of the air. And as you're exhaling, I also invite you to Pay attention and stay with the space at the bottom of the exhale. And then when ever it's ready, let the body inhale naturally. Exhaling fully, expelling every last particle of air, then rest.
and let the inhale come. We know how to breathe. We're doing it all the time. And yet every time I breathe intentionally, I feel like, oh, there's so much I can learn from the breath. There are places in the lungs that I don't always breathe into. How powerful it is to take a full in inhalation, how invigorating, energizing, feeling dull in meditation, just inhale, refresh, and how an exhale can be so grounding, stabilizing, restful, nourishing, how the mind can get so quiet at the bottom of the exhale. As it seems to drop into space. moment can forget who you are and then the inhale comes the kanji character the Chinese pictogram uh, for breath also means spirit qi qi life force. In Zen meditation, we don't emphasize so much manipulating or controlling the breath. The more you hear the instruction, let the breath be as it is. Let the breath be natural. And just sitting in this upright posture, the breath finds its natural rhythm over time. Setting up the posture allows for a full breath and also allows the breath to express and unfold and change. It's a responsive breath, a healing breath. 
sometimes just naturally getting directed to areas of tension. Sometimes long and full, sometimes so subtle. Sometimes deep and low. Sometimes I can notice certain thought patterns based on the way that my breath has changed before I even notice that I'm thinking. In the posture of Zazen, the breath allowed simply to breathe us, which it's doing all the time. And we're invited to let go, to surrender the identification with with body, with breath, and to be breathed. To be breathed. Which, like I said, is happening all the time quite mysteriously, quite magically. This whole process of life happening all the time without us needing to control much. So much of the spiritual path is actually about getting out of our own way, allowing the miracle and wonder of life simply to shine through because it's what is. And often it's just our thoughts about the way things should be or shouldn't be that prevents us from being in touch with the miracle. And we can be in touch with the miracle of life even in the midst of an apparent catastrophe or chaos. This breath breathing us is a testament to that. How do we get in our own way? Not wanting what we have thinking that there is something else, wanting more of a positive state, trying to reify, recreate a moment that's past, an experience in meditation that's past, which is just greed and aversion two lenses that we're always seeing through in some capacity.
A student asks Zen teacher Hisamatsu, if you follow any way, if you follow any which way, you will never get there. And if you do not follow any way, you will never get there. So one faces a dilemma. Hisamatsu replied, well, let that dilemma be your way. Perhaps said simpler as Marcus Aurelius, let what stands in the way become the way. Let what stands in the way become the way. At some point, perhaps, we just have to give up trying to figure it out conceptually. Let's take out the perhaps. At some point in this practice, we really just need to do it. There's these quotes from the early uh, Japanese teachers in America who came to America without learning English and learned English as they started teaching in English. And they said things like, just do, only just, just be. Imagine if that's all I said, maybe it would be a lot easier. Nowhere to attach conception onto just do, just breathe. In my more grandmotherly way, I say, well, include that too. The inner attitude of yes, not yes, but, but yes. Boredom seems to be obstructing. Include boredom. Get interested in boredom. Where do you feel it? Does it have a location? What is this sensation we call boredom? Nothing is happening. Well, where is this nothing, this null state? How does it feel? Smell, taste. Can you be nothing fully? Whenever you feel obstructed, whenever I feel obstructed, investigate it. If it disappears or can't be found, you don't have to try to recreate it. It's okay to be simple. It's okay to experience ease, rest, calm. Problems often disappear very quickly if we get close enough to them. Or maybe they're never problems at all. 
if we include them as part of this field of awakening? It's one of my favorite questions. I started doing this when I got sick and then realized I could do it anytime I had some obscuration in the mind. Like, well, why do I think this is not awakening? Why do I think this is something else that I need to get rid of? Isn't this my awakened life right here? Then this must be included. The mirror is a great image for yes practice. The mirror doesn't say no to anything that comes in front of it. It just reflects. It simply is. Its nature is clarity. Its nature is openness. Its nature is receptivity. It accommodates anything that comes in front of it. Anything that comes in front of it, it shines and reflects all equally. It will reflect a dark, empty room for years until someone turns the light on. Then it will reflect the light, empty room, until someone stands in front of it. It will reflect dust. It will reflect a saint and a killer. It will reflect a tree and the floor and space and light. Man, woman, non-binary person, it will reflect a robbery and an act of kindness, a dance party and a sleeping child, all equally. Nothing is left over. One image appears, moves. The next one appears, moves. All is welcomed, on and on. And that is our awareness, so accommodating, nothing can obstruct it. Not our boredom, not our anger, not our wanting. Not our love, not our doubts, not our disappointments, not even this sense of I. All is reflected, welcomed. They do not stain or injure the mirror of awareness. It's just functioning continuously. From before you were born to after you die, the mirror of awareness is. And the appearances, the reflections, they dissolve. And the mirror is still there saying yes to the next moment, the next moment. Like the breath, the awareness has been with us all of the time. There's a story of Gayashata, the 18th century, or 18th, sorry, not century, uh, Gayashata, the 18th Zen ancestor, Indian ancestor. Gayashata is an ancestor I've always loved his story, it's always stuck with me. He was born together with a clear round mirror. Gayashata was born together with a clear round mirror. When Gayashata was born from his mother's womb, this mirror appeared simultaneously close to him and became his everyday companion. 
We've been keeping company with a mirror. Imagine being born with one. This mirror was not ordinary. When the boy approached, the mirror would sit up as if being held in his hands and reflect his face. When he went away, the mirror would follow him, reflecting his body. When he slept, the mirror would cover him as a canopy. When he sat up, the mirror would be right in front of him. Thus, the mirror accompanied the boy in all of his activities. When he began to practice at age 18, the mirror disappeared. I've always loved this visual and I've always thought it would be helpful if a mirror followed me around. Wouldn't it be helpful to remind as we're familiarizing ourselves with awareness to have something that's just like, hey, clarity and openness right here. Your body, reflection, your thoughts, reflection, dreamlike and yet totally a part of awareness, inseparable from the mirror. Your natural clarity and openness all right there and the mirror shows you. The mirror is your awareness. And it's not like tucked away somewhere, it's just right there saying, hey, you're always using this mirror just as you are always breathing, even when you aren't aware of it. So it might also be helpful if we had a mirror following us and it was reflecting our thoughts and other people could see it. So right in the out in the open for everyone to see, there's the mirror, which is a reminding of us of our awareness. And then there's all of our thoughts being reflected in the mirror, which is happening all the time, but everyone would see it. And thoughts wouldn't be these like secret, intimate things that we had and we thought nobody knew about, but they would just be out there. I think we have this idea, thoughts appear to happen in this secret, intimate space of mind even though they totally affect our breathing, our posture, our energy level, our engagement with others, our speech and our actions, we think they're hidden. They appear hidden like secret messages just for us. Maybe that's why we act like they're so precious. They feel like someone's whispering secrets. But if everyone could see them, perhaps we wouldn't be as identified or they wouldn't be as sticky. They would just be out there on the mirror. We could see how tiny and fleeting they are compared to the mirror and how they're just like all the other reflections in the mirror, just like the body and the sun and the grasses and other things that we don't get so obsessed with. Just a thought experiment. So 
I want to backtrack to the line from Gaia Shatta's story where it says the mirror became his constant companion. I love this phrase. The mirror became his constant companion. Such a um, important teaching about awareness practices. Like let this mirror of awareness be your constant companion. Or this breath, this body, this earth that you are seated on, that you walk on. They actually are your constant companion, right? We're never alone. We're breathing. And the breath is with us. We're embodied and the body is always until it's not. And then it's not much of a concern to us anymore anyway. We are, for the time being, earth beings. And so the earth is always, always a companion. It's like meditation practice teaches us or allows us to learn to keep company with ourselves in this deep, intimate way, this way of companionship, of friendship. Deepa Ma, I'll say it again, I said it a couple days ago, she said, you need to learn to be your own best friend. And this is part of how being companioned to the breath, to the body, to the earth, to awareness itself. I think this is something that retreat practice and zazen can really help us appreciate. Our aloneness, which is also our key to deep, intimate connection to interconnection. As we let ourselves get quiet, and the quiet can also become a companion, the quiet of the mind, below thought. We get, let ourselves get quiet. You know, immediately a new kind of intimacy opens get to truly see, truly hear, truly feel, taste, be. It's like a kind of empowerment to be ourselves completely, to be our true, genuine, authentic self, so sincere so sincere and the more we let ourselves actually be who we are which how can we be anything but the more we let ourselves be who we actually are and some people 
uh, during this retreat have named that self-acceptance or self-love. The more we can live from our truth, the truth, and the more we can allow others in our presence, in our field, to do the same. To give people space to be who they truly are. Maybe that's the most precious gift you can give another human being. Like full acceptance. That we don't have to get anxious when someone else is anxious. And we don't have to judge someone for being anxious either. There's a way to hold space, to sit with and be in the midst of somebody's suffering or someone's having a hard time without having to do anything but be an open vessel, presence, which can help someone undo a fixed belief find peace as a refuge just by your being that. Help them remember what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like to be quiet and still, to not have to react. I had a, a taste of that. I was working at the Amber Assisted Living Facility, and uh, I worked the night shift. And this woman ha- had hard nights, and she would call the pager, and I would go up to her room. And she would start telling me a story, and then I was just listening. And she would start telling me a story, and then she would notice that I was just listening and pause for a minute. And we would just sit there together, and then she would start telling me another story. And then she would pause for a minute, and I was like, oh, like, this is helping. I don't know what else to do, but this seems to be helping. <laughs> and at one point I was like, but right now we're okay. And she looked around and she was like, oh, yeah. And we forget and other people forget, but that's why we live in community for those of us at the monastery. And that's why we practice in community, have teachers to find and remember our genuine heart, to have it reflected back to us by another to rediscover that just deep love which is at the core of all beings and i would say anxiety and fear comes from a deep love because we love life we're afraid Harada Roshi says, the primary vow is to live. So if our deep vow is to live and to live well, 
some, we probably all have some definition of what that means or feels like. That's what we're all looking for, to live well. And we forget, and we forget that our life, this life, and for me to live well, is connected to all life. There is no separate life. So that's where the vow comes and makes its full circle. To live well means all beings live well. All beings live well. Myoyu gave us this instruction yesterday at Work Circle to stay grounded in our connection with the earth. By noticing the different textures of the surfaces we walk on. Beautiful practice. I was reminded of this. In ancient Rome, there's a festival just before the summer solstice called Vestalia in honor of Vesta, the goddess of the hearth, of sacred fire, and of the earth itself. And during the festival, Roman women visited Vesta's round temple, walking barefoot through the city as though stepping on the older, deeper contours of the land, marsh and field and hill, underneath the paving stones of the streets. When you walk, walking on the deeper, older contours of the land, walking on the deeper, older contours of the mine ground, Let the quiet attention be your companion. Know this earth, which is also your companion, underneath this building, room, floor. All that you have in your life comes from this earth and will return to it like your own body. Zen Master on his deathbed said, empty-handed, I entered the world, barefoot, I leave it. My coming and going, two happenings that got entangled. This bareness, barefootedness, empty-handedness. Allowing us There's a line from a song I really like, take off your language clothing. It's like, let yourself be seen because that's how we came into this world. So raw and open. Mm. A student of Deng Shan's, who's the author of The Precious Mirror Samadhi, the person I was talking about, 
couple days ago who saw his face in the river and had an enlightenment experience. When asked, the student was asked, what does Dongshan teach? The student said, Dongshan teaches the dark way, the bird path, and the open hand. This is the founder of our school, the dark way, the bird path, and the open hand. I love those images on their own. The way of mystery, the traceless way. There's nothing to hold on to. The walking is the path. The not knowing is the intimacy. Holding nothing back, we step forward. I wanted to emphasize breath, embodiment, earth, and awareness today because this is the last day of retreat and for many people it can be an integration day. And tomorrow the forms and supports of this retreat will be lifted. And I just want to remind us that our insights from this week must be lived, walked, breathed, embodied. They must function in this life on this earth because that's where we are. So don't forget these companions, breath, body, earth, awareness. They are always in the present. And we always have access to them. And if you do forget, they are still here, waiting, aiding us in our awakening, inseparable from us, and our connection to all of life. We'll end with another teaching by Deepama. This is a further explanation of Jogan's juice. She says, have fun along the way. I am quite happy. If you come to meditate, you will also be happy. That's a quote from Deepama. Jack Engler asked Deepama about the place of fun in Buddhist practice. This all sounds very gray, he said. Getting rid of the passion, getting rid of anger, getting rid of desire. It seems like a gray existence. Where's the juice? Oh, you don't understand, Deepama burst out laughing. There is so much sameness in ordinary life. We are always experiencing everything through the same set of lenses. Once greed, hatred, and delusion are gone, you see everything fresh and new all the time. Every moment is new. Life was dull before. Now, every day, every moment is full of taste and zest. Please enjoy your zesty life.